The following podcast contains spoilers. Check the episode description to see the exact times of the segments that contain spoilers. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to the Vulture TV Podcast. I'm your host, Gazella Mami. On this week's show, we'll talk about sex on television and the girlfriend experience. Plus, we're joined by Girls showrunner Jenny Koner, who directed Sunday Night's Finale. That's all coming up, but first, if you have any questions for us or ideas for topics you'd like to hear, leave us a voicemail at 646-504-7673 or email us at tvquestions at vulture.com. I'm here with New York Magazine TV critic Matt Zoller-Seitz. Hey, Gazelle. Hi, Matt. And we also have Vulture contributor Angelica Jade Bastien with us. Angelica, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. So this is a topic surprising, we surprisingly haven't really talked about in depth yet on the show, which no. seems so obvious when I was thought about, about it. That yeah. Like, why wouldn't we have? But sex on TV, it's... There's, a, I hear there's, there's a, a lot, lot of it now. Yeah. Yes, I hear tell. <laughs> it's not like we haven't seen sex on TV before, but there are just more kinds of sex being shown on television these days, whereas before it felt like there was more two types. You have like the hot sex or the I'm in love with you sex or just no sex or you just <laughs> skip the sex part. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and Or they go into a room and shut the door and implied sex. sex yes, implied Which was the yeah. way it was, it was done for quite a long time. Yes. Um, one show I thought we could start with is Catastrophe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Catastrophe, which has the, some of the best, like, acrobatically ridiculous slapstick sex since probably Dream On. Although they've, <laughs> they've cooled down a little bit in season two, but, you know, it's still very, uh, uh, like, they're not, they're not, like, hiding the positioning aspects of it. Yeah. There's, there's much more of an acknowledgement of how awkward sex can be. Um, there's one scene in the premiere, in the very first scene, where Rob asks Sharon to put her finger in his ass. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the joke is about how he cannot, she cannot physically reach his ass. So it's, it's just this other, yeah, it's just this level of like body humor that is just kind of delightful to see. <laughs> it is great. And there's actually a moment in, in an episode of Girls, uh, where uh, Jess and Adam are having sex, I guess for uh, for the first time on a couch, and she's on top of him, and it goes on for a few seconds, and then she she says, "Hold on for a second, and she has to reposition her leg. Oh, I loved that. Yeah, that <laughs> whole otherwise scene, she was going to fall off. Like you expect them to have this hot sex immediately, but the show doesn't give you that, which I thought was great. Yeah. Yeah, and another thing I thought on Catastrophe that was interesting was um, we see the male orgasm a bit more with Rob's character. You know, the female gaze is something people talk about. And right. we get this on a lot of different shows, not just Catastrophe, but Outlander is a big show that that yes. is probably the biggest example of a show that is from the female gaze that's currently on television. Yeah, um, I think Outlander's sex scenes are some of the most interesting, I've, especially this season, because it's not full-blown hot sex between Jamie and Claire after what happened to him at the end of last season, which has been really interesting to watch. A yeah, sort and of awkwardness developed between them. Yeah, and what happened last season was a male rape scene, which was one of the most gruesome things I've ever seen on television. I just couldn't. Yeah. It was incredibly difficult to watch on a both physical and psychological level. And it's also something that almost never happens to a major character. Yes. 
You know, like they'll bring in a special guest victim to deal with it, typically. Emily Nussbaum wrote a piece recently about Outlander and the Americans and how they treat sex. And it's this character-driven way where it tells you more about the character. And on Outlander, you know, that, that rape scene really kind of changes the nature of his relationship with Claire. And right. it doesn't mm-hmm. shy away from kind of forcing you to understand how things will never really be the same between them. And... I feel like the Americans does this really well, too. Yeah, it definitely does. Oh, yeah. The sex scenes on the Americans are great. I still love when uh, Paige walked in on them. That the 69 <laughs> the scene? The 69 scene. Oh, my God. Yeah. No. <laughs> that was really uncomfortable, but then that was a really interesting moment because it, it definitely changed the tenor of what we were watching right it wasn't titillating <laughs> yeah and the, con- the context is constantly changing like the sec- there there's never such a thing as typical sex on the americans there's, it's always fraught with whatever the characters are going through at that moment and also the sex that that philip and elizabeth have with other people as part of their undercover operations often you see kind of shadow versions of whatever they're dealing with at home getting played out there mm-hmm. they're pretending to be someone else but somehow that intrudes yeah one thing I've noticed with the current trend is a lot of them are shows with prominent female protagonists. So, yeah. mm-hmm. and then the the male protagonists on these shows tend to be a lot more sensitive. So you've got Philip on The Americans, Rob on Catastrophe, mm-hmm. Jamie on Outlander. So it's kind of moving away from you know the antihero mentality and more these more into these men who are vulnerable and also you know a little bit more sensitive in all aspects right um yeah the way that sex is discussed and written about on tv and in movies in this country is really fascinating to me and and i I often find it infuriating and i sometimes complain about it on twitter it's it's like people want sex to have a very clear narrative function beyond just revealing where the characters are emotionally or physically at that moment and and nine times out of ten, when I see a piece that's written about complaining about the way sex is depicted on a show, the words justified or unjustified get used. Mm-hmm. And I always think, like, you know, what do we mean by that? And why do we insist on that? And why do we hold sex to a higher standard of needing to be justified than we do, say, violence? I think Game of Thrones has maybe pushed that conversation a bit more just because it's so exploitative so much yeah. that people start to wonder, why are you putting that in there? if it's not serving the story. But I think you're right. There's like a general discomfort with sex. Sex scenes, I feel like uh, it's perfectly fine to have them as spectacle in the way that we would have scenery as spectacle or violence as spectacle. Like, I don't think that every single sex scene has to be very carefully calibrated so that it passes the uh, justified test. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I don't think it's exactly necessary to show us the severed head of someone's enemy in close-up or somebody getting, like, molten gold poured on them. You know, like, I think it depends on the show. And we might be shocked to see an uh, explicit sex scene on, say, an ABC family comedy. And there we would go, like, contextually, that's all wrong. But on an R-rated show, you know, I don't know. That's one one of the things that we go to movies for and watch TV for is is that kind of just, you know, visual, auditory, sensual pleasure. And I don't see anything wrong with that, necessarily. I definitely see your point there. I do think that sometimes, though, it can feel like... On True Detective, for example, when we're constantly seeing mm-hmm. this woman he's having an affair with, with like her shirt off, and it's just purely 
Like, do we need that there? Do we, does this, like, do actresses feel this need to strip down just because it's become so common and that they're expected to do it? It raises all these other questions. Well, about... there's, there's that. And, but then, you know, like, I feel like the uh, conclusion that is often jumped to is, well, then there shouldn't be female nudity. And I feel like the answer is there should be more male nudity. Exactly. That's like, what like I, bring on yeah, the, I think. Bring on the peckers. Bring them on. And like, let's yes, level the playing field. That is what I want. And, and that's what <laughs> we, we interviewed Mark Duplass about this because Togetherness was actually really good about this. And he decided that if there was ever a scene where his wife was naked, that he would be naked too. Right. Completely. And the that's, nudity that's equality. All that, that's all we need. Yeah. We just need <laughs> yeah. a little equality <laughs> when it comes to sex. When it comes to your point, Matt, about uh, the argument if a sex scene is justified or not, I personally, you know, sex scenes can have a, a bunch of different purposes, but like Gazelle said with True Detective, it would take me out of the moment because it felt like it wasn't necessarily serving the show or the show's own atmosphere, but what they thought the audiences would want. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And which is, you know, that really just took me out of it. So uh, oftentimes when sex scenes pop up, I... I to think about who is this really serving you know does it even add to the show at all and what perspective are we really looking at these sex scenes from right i mean true detective is ultimately an incredibly pulpy show and with pulp you're going to get a a lot of sex and nudity but a lot of times it ended up weighing the show down even more yeah, I would agree. I, I would agree with that, and and I think a lot of I, I think HBO ultimately has a lot to answer for, in this regard, because they're they they've never been really as upfront as I think they should be about the fact that their audience that they the audience that they're consciously courting tends to be male, and if they draw yeah. female viewers, it's often because of the quality of the writing, the acting, the photography, the storytelling, whatever. But you have to put up with. Uh, sex or nudity that may not really have any justification at all, even a spectacle. Right. And the yeah. only exception really is girls. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which talk about, you know, it, I, I find the sex on girls to be sometimes sexy, despite the fact that it's not photographed in a particularly sexy way. Yeah. And maybe that's not even, you know, counterintuitive. I don't know. I think you get these shows that also kind of do these like slightly shocking sex scenes because they're introducing like new types of sex. Like on Girls last season, you had Desi eating out of Marnie's ass. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Which is like, you know, this is like a millennial show and they're kind of putting out these new ways of having sex. The same thing with Broad City. Like right. there's mm-hmm. also this sense of sexual openness on that show that we haven't gotten before. Yeah. Where there was this whole scene last season where Alana's having about to have sex with Alia Shawkat and she gives this whole speech about like the different types of people that she's open to having sex with and it's this beautiful like monologue about like sexual openness. I have sex with people different from me, you know? Different colors, different shapes, different sizes, people who are hotter, uglier, more smart, not more smart. Anies, Audis, I don't know, a Catholic person. I think, you know, that's that's this other whole trend we're seeing with this kind of sense of being casual about sex being sex with anyone being okay. Like we have Transparent, you know. Right. That's a show that mm-hmm. you know, it definitely deals with with same sex relationships more. But it's also this sense of like freedom to experiment and not feel constricted by gender. I think TV has been a godsend in this regard because television is, you know, even if you have 
a TV watching party. It's not going to, you know, unless you live in a mansion, there's not going to be a lot of people there. And, mm-hmm. and often it's a solitary experience. More and more people are watching shows on their laptops, their phones, or whatever. And it's so, so it's more like reading a book than it is going to a movie or to a play. And so a lot of the discomfort vanishes. Like, you're not worried about how do I appear to other people in mm-hmm. the audience? Like, is it okay if I'm enjoying this or not enjoying this? Do people think more, you know, do they think ill of me if I respond the wrong way? Suddenly that's not on the table anymore. And I think maybe that might be emboldening some of the people who make these shows. Yeah. No, I, I think that's definitely true. Um, just another example of a a plot line that has less to do with sex on TV, but sexual orientation and kind of our openness around that um, was Crazy Ex-Girlfriend's plotline with Daryl. Yeah. Realizing he's yeah. A, a both sexual. And it was more <laughs> like more white Josh's whole demeanor throughout this where he was super casual about it. He's like, yeah, this is who I am. Like he's, it's just, there isn't, they've kind of skipped that step of like having to deal with your identity and being like, no, we are kind of more in, we've transcended that whole element and this is this kind of idealistic view of society right my kids generations you know they're too you know obviously they're not going to talk about that stuff explicitly around their dad but i know that they're much less worried about categories than i was when i was their age you know Mm -hmm. it was all like are you are are you straight do you like boys or girls or are you gay those were kind of the two major categories and anything beyond that was considered incredibly exotic to the point of being you know, hard to get your mind around. And I don't think that's so much the case anymore. Yeah, I was th- I was watching the first episode of Chelsea Does, and she talks to these, I don't know, preschoolers, kindergartners about marriage and whether, like, they're, like marriage should be between a man and a woman or if it could be between a man and a man, woman and woman. And their answers were amazing. What do you think about marriage between three people? I feel, I feel like it's more, like, the tradition is two people, but... If three people really love each other, then it's their choice to get married or not. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful to yeah, hear. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even a show, like a kid's show like Steven Universe, which obviously isn't going to have sex, but does some really interesting things with commenting on sexuality in a way, but maybe not exactly directly um, with certain characters. Because basically they're a bunch of aliens, and you end up finding out... <laughs> Um, that one of the leading characters voiced by the musician Estelle is really actually two women who have fused together into one being, and they meet <laughs> together and they stay as one because they love each other so much. And it's like, incredibly cute and sweet and also very intelligent with how it talks about love and how people relate to each other and how a relationship can make you into a different person, except in this case, literally a different person. <laughs> But then on the flip side, you know, there's been this controversy with the rebooted Powerpuff Girls and mm-hmm. the transphobic episode that, I mean, it's incredibly transphobic. At first, I thought people were just, maybe it was being talked about, it's like kind of blown out of proportion, and then I watched it and I was like, wow, this is incredibly offensive and also an ideological mess. So in a recent episode, uh, there's this horse character who really wants to be a unicorn, uh, and then Buttercup ends up making fun of him, saying, like, you can never be a unicorn. You don't have, like, the right part, so to speak. And so it's very obviously dealing with the fact that he feels like he should have a body that he doesn't have. And it ends up coming out that the professor who, you know, created the Powerpuff Girls 
can make him into a unicorn. But the transition is very controversial, and it may not go the way he wants it to go. And so when he goes through the procedure, he ends up becoming a disgusting monster. And I'm like, it's funny how that can exist also on the same network with Steven Universe, which is incredibly intelligent about these topics. And I think it's actually a pr- that show is actually a pretty cool way to get kids to understand different ways people relate to each other and their own bodies. But then this episode of Powerpuff Girls is incredibly offensive. I'm struck by, like, looking back over old and semi-old shows, how a lot of TV programs that, that were kind of on the cutting edge of being enlightened don't feel that way anymore. You know, like like merely by bringing a subject up, people said, wow, isn't it amazing that they're talking about this? But when you look at how they're actually talking about it, it doesn't feel... It feels like a time capsule. Like a lot of episodes of Friends play that way yeah. to me, too. And, and, yeah. uh, and there were even some old, there were some old episodes of Hill Street Blues where... Mm-hmm. There were gay characters, but they were they, their sense of of life for you know urban gay men seemed to be drawn mainly from cruising. You know, like mm-hmm. you, there was no there was no sort of spectrum of representation there at all. And there was an instance just recently, the reboot of the X Files. There's a scene in this episode oh, which yeah. I otherwise love with Dar- the Darren Morgan episode where there's a conversation at a truck stop with the transsexual that's played. Uh, like there was an yeah. uncomfortable edge of this character is is funny. Because yeah. you know what I mean, mm-hmm. it was like, it was almost like a sight gag, in a way, and yeah. and only the sweetness of the tone of the writing prevented it from being really ugly. Yeah, that's definitely true. I recently rewatched all of Sex in the City, and it's amazing to watch how regressive, at least compared to what we're seeing now, the show feels like, especially when it comes to sexuality of the characters, like when Samantha has a relationship with a woman or when Carrie ends up going on a date with a guy who ends up being bisexual right. and it's, she doesn't really believe him. She's like, he needs to kind of make it. It was a vi- it's very strange to watch that show now because it, it used to feel very groundbreaking. Totally. But then from 2016, looking at it, it's, it's actually, it's regressive in interesting ways, especially just with sexuality and how, people have sex and how certain sex acts are comedic while others are seen as more alluring, which is really interesting to watch. Yeah, I think it's kind of, it's good in a way because it shows, you know, it's like a little time capsule and we Mm -hmm. can see how things have changed through television, which I think, you know, it's, 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 and it's just amazing to see, you know, that sex in the city is regressive already Right. <laughs> um, yeah. Pop culture can't keep up with life yeah. anymore. That's true. Yeah, it is. Yeah, a, it is kind of a step behind in some ways too. Like it can be, it can be a step ahead or a step behind. Now some may say, "Are you just gay? Why don't you just go gay all the way?" But that's not it, cause bi's legit. Whether you're a he or a she, we might be a perfect fit. And one more thing, I tell you what, being bi does not imply that you're a player or a slut. You're right like sex. Please make him stop. But I'm no hoe, I take things slow until I feel at ease. So if you ask me how I'm doing, I'm feeling peppy, sprightly, spry. So why don't we shift gears and talk a little bit about sex on the girlfriend experience? 
This is Amanda. Yeah, I saw your ad. Are you still in Toronto? Yes. Are you available now? No, not until 6 p.m. How much an hour? A thousand an hour, two hour minimum. You're okay with other women? Yes. I'm staying at the Trump room 5501. What's your name? Gary. And your last name? Barber. Do you have any references? Yeah, he'll be here. You want their numbers? Yes, please. How are, how are you liking that show, Angelica, so far? I'm very torn on the girlfriend yeah. experience. It really went into a very different direction than I was expecting. It's mm-hmm. been interesting. Um, but I'm really torn on Christine as a character. Um, you know, the first sex scene you really see her have with a one-night stand, they, they're they just masturbating across from each other, which was a really interesting choice for wanting him to watch rather than it going where you may have expected it to go. Mm-hmm. But there's something about how removed the show is emotionally that really rubs me the wrong way. And I'm not sure I'm fully on board with it, even though I find it really fascinating how they're crafting her and her selfishness and how that selfishness manifests within different relationships. She's a perplexing character. She is perplexing. Yeah. And in yeah. fact, there are moments where she reminds me of Don Draper. You yes, know, and her yes. intersexual I, behavior. Like oh, there definitely. Are, there are things, there are, there are past experiences, perhaps, and, and maybe some traumas that are being played out in all the different iterations of sex that she has. But we, don't, we aren't privy to them. Yeah, one thing I found interesting about her sex scenes is for a while, you know, with clients, she te- we tend to see her on top for the most mm-hmm. part until the moment where one of her clients dies and that whole episode sort of plays out. And she surprisingly has a very emotional reaction to it. And then when we see her have sex again with her boss, David, he's on top. And I thought that was a very interesting hmm. choice. The show is definitely playing around with sex and, and power dynamics within sex and how we perform within sex in a very interesting way. The way they photograph the sex, the way they photograph people's bodies is is, is unusual in that um, <clears throat> I was thinking a lot about it in reference to Mad Men and not just because of the protagonist, but Mad Men, re-watching the entire thing again recently, I was struck by how sexually explicit that show was without showing very much or any nudity and often they would you would know exactly what people were doing sexually like they left no doubt as to what was going on but Mm -hmm. often you were not seeing the body parts that were involved you were seeing their faces or you were hearing things or you know they were Mm. sort of verbally half describing what they wanted to happen and uh and then on the polar you know sort of other end of the scale you've got something like a like a a softcore Red Shoe diary sort of thing where the entire point is to put bodies on display and light them attractively, preferably in, like, you know, ritzy European hotels or something. Um, and girlfriend experience is sort of weirdly in the middle of that because the sex is quite explicit and you see more of the bodies, but a lot of times they're wreathing people in shadow, they're silhouetting them, mm-hmm. and a lot of the scenes where she's, at a, a, the, a you know, on the edge of climax or, or peaking they use this shallow focus, so you see that she doesn't have clothes on, but you only see her face. Like, everything else is in blur, or it's hidden in shadow. It's weird. It's like, I would say it is a, a almost pornographically explicit show, yet at the same time, weirdly chaste. Mm-hmm. I liked what you, write, you wrote about in your review, Matt, which is how in certain scenes, you know, you don't know how you're supposed to be feeling, even. Like, right. is it weird that I'm turned on here? Is it weird... If like, you're not. Sh- if I'm not, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like it really makes you 
it's a show that really makes you feel these things viscerally in certain scenes, I think. Well, and another thing which I was talking about with Angelica a couple of days ago is the issue of, is she enjoying this? Right. Like, I don't know. And, 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 and it sort of gets complicated for me because I feel like I don't see a whole lot of outward signifiers that she's enjoying it purely as pleasure, like as a human experience, but she likes it. She makes no bones about the fact that she likes it. And, and it's, you know, you can't, like, judge another person when they say whether or not they like it. Look, I know what you were doing. I can't believe you're... I can't even say it out loud. Then don't say it out loud. Did something happen to you, like, when you were little and you didn't say anything? Because I, I honestly cannot understand why you would do something so fucking stupid. Because I like it, okay? I think she likes feeling the power and having the attention. You start to get that more as the show goes on a little bit, I think. Yeah, well, I think, you know, the first sex scene with the one-night stand and where she wants wants him to watch her masturbate, I think that kind of sets the tone for how she looks at sex and what mm-hmm. she really wants from it because that's not that's not within the context of a client or her being an escort that's just her finding a guy attractive and wanting to have sex with him. And the fact that she wanted him to watch and, you know, it was his reaction and the tension that, you know, that they weren't having sex that she seemed to really enjoy more so. Yeah. So I don't, you know, with the sex she has with her clients, which I find profoundly unsexy, like the, like to the point where I think it's pretty much a given that she probably doesn't enjoy it physically, but it's more of the mental dynamics of it that she finds really interesting. Right. Yeah, no, it it definitely, like, there are some chat roulette style scenes where she's, <laughs> you know, she's just kind of putting herself out there and just wanting random people to watch her. Well, and there's also a moment in a later episode, and I don't know if it's one that, I can't remember which one it's in, so I don't know if you're up to it yet, Angelica, but the the, the, the drug addict guy. Have, have you, not gotten, gotten there. Okay, well, there's a guy who is basically like, he wants to be surrounded by other people who are having sex and tell them what to do and have everything be on his terms, but he's not really participating. He just wants to be in control. And yet that's what turns him on. You know, it's a great reminder that when somebody says what they get off on or what turns them on, you kind of, up to a point, you kind of just have to take their word for it. Yeah, because you can enjoy sex on different levels. It can be, say, you're enjoying it physically, but you're mentally really checked out or not really enjoying the person you're with. I mean, sex has so many different areas it can go in. You know, I think the show wants us to think about sex in terms of power dynamics and Mm -hmm. what you're getting from it mentally and what's at stake beyond the bedroom, so to speak. Right. And there are points where the way it's photographed by um, Lodge Kerrigan and Amy Simmons, who co-wrote, I think they co-wrote all of the episodes and they directed it. I think it's like practically half and half them directing it. And and the aesthetic of the show is very chilly. It's, Mm -hmm. It's sort of like glossy and chilly. And there's something about the way that the sex is framed and lit that reminds me of the sex in a David Cronenberg film or an Adam McGowan film where it's, there's something kind of almost overwhelmingly powerful about the way that it's filmed and the music that they put with it. And yet, at the same time, you feel like you're watching like a medical experiment. Right. You know, like yeah, it is that, that detachment. Yeah. It's very strange. It's whatever you're comfortable with and how much you want to get paid. I want to make sure that you're matched properly. For reasons I will let you figure out, most of your clients will be white and approaching middle age. 
It should also be enjoyable for you. I mean, the more you enjoy it, the more they will too. My big question is, why would I go with you when I can do this myself? You mean, why pay me? Yeah. Well, it's just math, really. And quality of life. The hours that you would spend finding and then vetting clients could be spent with clients making money. I'm the infrastructure. You don't work for me, you work with me. And if you're unhappy, you leave. There's no contract. What are you comfortable with? Did you and Avery talk about it? A little. I mean, I get the gist of it. Mm -hmm. Bareback blowjobs, overnights, dinner at the Y. Yeah, I'm fine with all that. Great. More wine? We're joined today by Girls showrunner Jenny Koner to talk about the fifth season of Girls and the finale, which was also Jenny's directorial debut. Last time we saw Hannah, she called me Miss. And you, sir. Didn't that upset you? No, it didn't. I'm fucking fine. Thanks. In fact, you bringing it up all the time is really starting to piss me off. She's not in our lives anymore. Why can't you just fucking let it go? You really don't get it, do you? No, no, I really don't. Hannah is my dearest friend. She will always come first. We may not be talking right now. And I hope to God that that changes. So you saying that she's not in our lives anymore doesn't work for me. You know, people hate me. I'm a hateable kind of person. I don't know why, I can't help it. Maybe it's because I have a big ass and good hair, but I know. I know that I have principles. And one thing I don't do is steal people's boyfriends. But you ruin that. Don't you see that? I'll never forgive you. I will never forgive you for that. We could die in the same bed and I will never forgive you. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me, guys. Everyone's been talking about how great the season is, obviously, and there is something that feels a little a little different. I was wondering if you could talk about the influences in terms of the filmmaking. There's kind of a, like, Sofia Coppola feel to some of the episodes, even. Oh, my God, thank you. I love that. That's a really very flattering reference. I love her. Um, I didn't feel like a very big difference this year. Everyone is mm-hmm. responding in this hugely in this way, like, this is the best season ever, but, which is so nice, um, but it wasn't something we had anticipated, and it wasn't something we sort of are even aware that we did anything that different. It felt different to me, but it wasn't so much the style or the tone or anything like that. It was more just, I felt like the show was dealing directly with certain inevitable facts about these characters, namely that they're not all right. going to be friends forever. I think so. I mean, there's been a lot of that back and forth over the season. Uh, I mean, over the seasons. Uh, you know, like, even in the first season, we start Hannah as kind of a mess, and Marnie's the together one, and then they both, like, cross each other on the way up and down. And I think that's, like, almost been a slightly steady path of both of theirs anyway, in some ways. But So we always, you know, have breakups and coming back together in the friendships. But I do think that it's not inevitable that you will spend your life with these same people who you met at college. And there's this thing where you get out of college and you look around at your friends and you say, you know, it's hard to be a friend and be an adult in the world and have a job and have responsibilities and still make a lot of time for people. 
And you have to be kind of precious about that time. And part of that is realizing who you want to spend time with and if you still want to spend time with that person. Yeah, no, it's, I think the show gets that across beautifully. And I think this season we definitely see them drifting apart, but there's also this sense that they care about each other really deeply too, you know? Or they want to. Yeah, they're still holding on to that. Adam and Jessica, like, they can't exist right now without Hannah being part of it. Like, they haven't figured out a way to excise Hannah from their relationship yet. I also got a sense of, like, this encroaching fear of somehow the characters being disappointments to themselves. Like, that was always an undertow, but I feel like it's dealt with much more in a much more straightforward way in this season. They're having to face reality more. They're like, we're not just out of college anymore. Now we're in our lives. These are our lives that we're in right now. And so what will we make of them? Can you talk a little bit about the the staging of the argument uh, that that becomes a destruction derby? Oh, yeah. Um, Well, (laughs) first of all, that was a really fun scene to shoot, as you might imagine. And we... (laughs) took a little, I'm not going to lie, took a little bit of license with how easily things broke in that apartment. <laughs> could you could you talk about the just the, the decision of what to destroy and not to destroy? Because I know that these are actors who go with the flow and they're in the moment, but like, isn't there a danger that somebody might hurl an object yeah, that's so not breakable? Did, you know? there, was no, there was no flow in this. This is all very, very intentional. And what we did is we started, we would rehearse the scene and then talk about we just used everything in the apartment that already existed where it was mm-hmm. and then we just would say okay well then I think you're going to break this and so then we would have props build something like that and as we structured the fight it was like should I pick up this and throw it here I mean it was pretty deeply scripted and we knew that she would tip over the bookshelf you know we added a wire to the bookshelf when the bookshelf was my favorite farther. my favorite <laughs> fall <laughs> we'll never be <laughs> done with her <laughs> Hannah's a bitch and a cunt! Hannah's a fucking bitch and a cunt! We're done with her! Oh yeah? Oh yeah? We're done with her? We will never be done with her, you shit! Fuck! Well, that's definitely so escalated. <laughs> yeah. One one more question about that because I'm just so fascinated by this whole scene. Yeah, so ask me about there, There's inc- there is an incredible sense of impending violence. I mean, I don't just mean the violence of them breaking things and yelling at each other, but that this thing could escalate into actual domestic violence of them hitting each other and him, you know, right. like and I was concerned. I was really concerned like is this oh my god, is this is show going to suddenly take a, a a turn a right turn into tragedy or right. something? And how do you how do you keep right on that edge? Yeah, that was part of the thing with all the rehearsals. My big concern was making it never feel like Adam was scarier than she was. Mm-hmm. That was what I was worried that was, about. That was my my big concern. The way, the way I felt we could keep it from shifting into domestic violence was truly just making her more reckless or as reckless as he was. I think you get that across well also just by oh, having Adam ask, like, or say, I'm sorry I scared you. And she's like, you didn't scare me. <laughs> like, <laughs> she just... And we saw her face. He did scare her. Right. But she will never cop to that in a million years. Him sticking um, his face through the hole in the bathroom door like it's the freaking Shining. Yeah. We actually saw one shot that is was just completely the shot, you know, where we had a, her point of view of him punching through the door. <laughs> but it was a little on the nose. <laughs> we thought a lot about the Shining in that scene and then in the... Uh, 
the lift above in the final shot, we thought a lot about Taxi Driver. This was your directorial debut, correct? It was. How how was that? I mean, it's it's I mean, amazing. It was incredible. Mm-hmm. I I spent. You know, we have so many insanely talented directors on our show, and so I've just been sitting next to them for five years, and I've learned a lot through that. And I also, I I really feel comfortable asking for a lot of help when I don't know stuff. And so I got to ask Lena or Richard Shepard or Jesse Paris or Jamie Babbitt, you know, anything I wanted. And I knew it was the last episode so that I had all season to sort of think about it. And Lena and Jed and I wrote that together. And so we all spent time also thinking about it visually. Like, that's why we wrote that, the fight scene so specifically. Was there something about this episode that you particularly made you want to direct it? I mean... That fight scene was something I really wanted a piece of, and I also Mm -hmm. wanted to figure out a way to make the ma work. Like, that was the challenge for me, figuring out that push-in that was, you know, sort of a risk and and something that I was excited to try. And I remember on the day, I was so certain of it that I didn't get any coverage because I loved the way it looked so much. I planned to get coverage of that scene in a different, more normal shooting way. But then I didn't because it... Lena's performance was so amazing. I mean, it was so incredible, like, that the, our extras kept applauding afterwards. Wow. That's great. And I was like, you can't do that, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, because people were just really moved by her, and she did such a beautiful performance, and it just felt like, oh, I don't want to break this up for one second. Like, it just would have been so awful to go away from her. Yeah. No, that scene is so amazing for so many reasons. But also, you know, we've been... This has been the season of the resurgence of Hannah Haight, where people, yeah. you know, she's been doing things that piss people off, audience-wise. Yeah. And then I don't she, know, is that resurgence? That seems to be a kind of standard. I think it's been a little stronger this, this season. This <laughs> I don't but, know. It's hard for me to hard for me to tell. You're right. It's yeah, probably it's hard for me to gauge. I think the blowjob was a little bit kind of that's what set people off a bit they, they didn't know how to deal with that <laughs> i love that you're laughing that's great well, you know, the thing about hannah is like she will always go for the sex she will just always go for it that's like her first move like right. she did it with the yoga teacher she mm-hmm. did it with jenny slate like it's just where she thinks right. connection her, goes her boss the the principal yes. yeah <laughs> Great. The basic instinct moment. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny, like I like I said, it's very hard for me to gauge when the hate is up or down or where it is because and it's like impossible for me to know what the things people will respond to mm-hmm. as horrible. Like to me she made like fourteen other horrible choices. <laughs> <laughs> but and I understand why that was the one people clung on to, but I also understand why, yeah, like the basic instincts would be something that would be appalling <laughs> to people. I think I think we were just we were excited about the idea of the story being like how do we get Hannah back to writing if she's taking off writing and starting her in this relationship that feels really like kind of safe and comfortable for us. Like, oh well that's nice. Like Hannah's just trying to be in a normal thing. And but her realizing that she can't be with Fran, I think, is sort of the beginning of the, like, return mm-hmm. of Hannah, how Hannah got her group back. <laughs> right, right. It also, it also that moment reminds me as a viewer that there is something special about her as a writer. 
Like that there's actual potential there, that she's not delusional. She's not somebody who has talent right. and wastes it. Like there's actual unexcavated potential there and that she can enrapture an audience and just do a great job. Well, we're always trying to find it's like a very tough balance. You know, we're showing when you show the artists at work. Mm-hmm. It's been really fun. We work with Zach Antonoff and other people to make Marnie and Desi's music kind of catchy and appealing, but also makes you want to die and grin. <laughs> <laughs> and that's like a fine line. We're always walking in performance and everything. And I always think it's hard with Hannah. We haven't really shown her yet have work that like you can totally get behind. And I think because this was like a spoken word thing, it gave her more freedom. And it was also a story that we knew already, basically. We didn't know the ending, but we know what happened with Adam and Jessa. And feel however you want about Hannah, it's hard not to feel for her in that situation. Right. Another character I was really pleasantly surprised by this season was Elijah's story with Dill. And, you know, we don't often get to see these stories of gay heartbreak, which was what made it such a... So heartbreaking. So heartbreaking. Both of those actors were great. Great. I know. They're so wonderful. We loved working with Corey. Is the Elijah character one you had wanted to flesh out for a while? Or what made... Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, Andrew's just so talented, and he's so funny, and he can, like, sing any song in the world and dance and do all of that. But it was like, we have the four girls, obviously, that we addressed before anybody. And, and, but I was really glad, you know, we eventually get around to the boys and give them their due. And so it was, it was really nice for us to show, really for Andrew to show his chops and for us to just show, you know, just him get creamed like the rest of people. We hadn't seen him be emotionally vulnerable yet. And it was really nice to see him as flesh him out as human. I'm not telling you anything you don't know when I say that this, this show is not just a show, it's, it's an issue. Like, like people keep, you know, I mean, like they keep, pe- I, I love it. it has <laughs> problems well, there you go. I mean, but I, I, I wanted to ask you when you're shooting the show, do you ever have moments where you think we're going, you know, this is, this is going to get us in trouble with, you know, this group or that group. Are we going too far here? Is it too unpleasant? Is it too uncomfortable? Are the characters too unlikable? Are they too shallow? To this, to that? Or are you, ju- do you just, are you just in the moment and not worrying about it or? I mean, honestly, I just, every time I've thought that, I've been wrong. And the Hmm. things that people have responded really strongly to, like, I wouldn't have seen it coming. For example, like, the Ray thing, in no way did I think that was going to be, like, considered, and didn't even know until this minute with you guys, but, like, to me, that's, like, no worse than any other choice Hannah has made (laughs) in the course of the season. Like, that's just, you know... A total, like, a normal Hannah move to me. So I don't, I'm very bad at being predictive, and so I think we just don't even try. I was very surprised with the Sherry Appleby episode, mm-hmm. where she crawls across the floor. That's definitely a very upsetting sex scene. But I was very yeah. surprised to hear people say, like, is it rape? And I was like, no, it's consensual. It just sucks. But <laughs> that was, like, a, a place where I, it never even occurred to me. And we're pretty, like, you know, in touch with rape culture. So it was surprising that that that, that came out of it to me. How do you think about, you know, the sex scenes on the show? We were just talking about sex on TV and how we see so many different um, types of sex these days. And Girls was kind of one of the 
the early, you know, shows that kind of dealt it was with sex ne- more it, it, was, it was next level in some ways. Yeah. Right, right. Well, I mean, we always have faced every sex scene as deeply character-driven. Mm-hmm. And it needs to tell us something about the character. So it's like when you open the scene with Desi motorboating Marnie, <laughs> even in, I think, the description <laughs> of that scene, it said, like, she's freer than we've ever seen. <laughs> like, it's supposed to show us, you know, that's supposed to show us, like, this isn't Marnie who she used to be now, you guys. This is a new Marnie. Every, every time we've done a sex scene, it's sort of about something, and it's oftentimes about humiliation or about, you know, uh, like a big strong comedy moment, but it always like develops the characters. We don't do any sex for sex sake. I mean, if we did, they would probably be sexier scenes. <laughs> <laughs> we don't write especially sexy sex scenes. Although a lot of people said that um, Elijah Dill sex scene was very sexy to them. So I was oh yeah, that was that. a very sexy sex scene. Yeah. yeah. I'd agree. Thank you so much Thank for your you. time, Jenny. Thanks, guys. Thanks for all those thoughtful questions. It's so such a pleasure. Oh, keep oh, doing keep, keep doing what you're doing. I love it. <laughs> We're trying. That's it for this week's Vulture TV podcast. Don't forget to email us your questions or comments at tvquestions at vulture.com. The Vulture TV podcast is produced by Sam Dingman. Laura Mayer is our managing producer, and Andy Bowers is our chief content officer. The Vulture TV podcast is part of the Panoply Network. I'm Gazella Mommy, and you can find me on Twitter at Gazellephant. I'm Matt Zoller Sites, and you can find me on Twitter at Matt Zoller Sites. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.